I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast where two films with something in common go head to head in a fight to the death. But not really, as no one actually dies, we just decide at the end which one is better. On Monday, we did the right thing with Spike Lee. Meaning today we're all about hate, thanks to Matteo Kasovitz's La Hen. Good morning, Miss Mother Sister. Now, Mookie, don't work too hard today. The man says it's going to be hot as the devil. I've been here 25 years. LaSalle's famous pizzeria is here to stay. Trust me. Mookie, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. Can't stand hey, hey, Sal, I'm going to burst on the wall here. You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. Always do the right thing. Huh? So I said, what you bought, huh? Whoa, 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 whoa. So I said, what you bought? So I said, so which will be victorious? You're about to find out in Clash of the Title. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Chris Tilly. I'm Vicky Crompton. And sitting in Alex Zane's chair today is Kaleem Aftab, writer, journalist, producer, programmer, coffee shop magnate, <laughs> and author of a book with Spike Bloody Lee. Kaleem, thanks oh, for returning. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> How are you doing? I was thinking you were kicking me off, but I was feeling like I might be sour. No, you brought, the you brought the knowledge. Oh, that's good. Maybe uh, I'll fail this time. Well, these were your choices. Yeah. Um, and I was even more excited to do this when the other day I saw your sight and sound list of the greatest movies ever made. And Lahaine is on it. Lahaine is on it. Yeah. Yes. Can you maybe explain what that list is and, and how you came up with your choices, how that came about? So obviously sight and sound every 10 years, they do this massive list where they uh, try and find the greatest film ever made as per the people they ask. So 10 years ago, they asked me for a list and Do The Right Thing was on that list. I did. I found that as well. And uh, and then when I came around to writing the list this time, I was like, it's so boring. Do you have to pretend to have thought of something new every time? No. Okay. Most people like repeat. Just do the same yeah. thing? What? Well, and you get paid just to send the same I was list. like, uh, actually, they don't pay you. <laughs> they just, you do it for the, for uh, the love. kudos. For the kudos <laughs> yeah. and the love, yeah. And uh, the bragging rights. I got, sure. I got asked to be on this side. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're not knocking on my door. <laughs> you know, what can I say? Um, and so this year I was like, I'm not going to name any of those films. But when I wrote my list this time, I was like, it's a way better list than I wrote 10 years ago. <laughs> I love my list this year yep. way more than the one that That's was nice. 10 years. And I think 10 years ago, um, when you're first asked, you kind of... Uh, are still living in the classical canon mode. Mm. You're not really pushing the envelope and your personality doesn't come through. 
And there would have been no, even though I did write the downfall meme 10 years ago. <laughs> you did? I read, I read that. Because it was it, awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, and I was also predicting that in the future, people would just rip off scenes and make their own scenes out of it. Yeah. And it would yeah. be like better yeah. than the movie. Wow. Wow, I'm blown away. <laughs> and so uh, I am proud of that choice. Uh, but in this one, I was uh, proud of uh, the list because it's quite wide ranging and yep. it's got a lot of um, different influences. It says a lot about me that uh, I can have a list that has Lahaine, something like Muladi, which is an Usman Semben African film from 50 years ago. And pretty in pink. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, come back for pretty in pink. <laughs> oh, I would, I can, I am the dunk man. I think I could do every line of pretty in pink. Wow. And I could act it out. As we, uh... But yeah, look, when I saw you a while ago, you suggested you were the do the right thing man in my head. And I was like, what do we do with you? You said Lehen. I was like, oh, okay, I, I hadn't seen Lehen. We're getting to that. Uh, but then the other day when I saw that do the right thing was on your old list and Lehen was on this list, I was like, oh, we, we, We've got to get him on right now. We've got to make this happen. Um, so let's dive in. Um, on Monday, I was making everyone do the right thing. Vicky, <clears throat> you're all about hate today, so That's take right. us on a journey. What have Amelie and Lahane got in common? Nothing! One is what Paris wants you to think it is, and one is what Paris actually is. Oh, no, wait. What they do have in common is Mathieu Kasovitz, who's either writing and directing an excoriating snapshot of social inequity and racist police brutality, or being winsome and losing photo albums depending on how you take your France. Lahane is a stylish, stylized, funny and heartbreaking day in the life of three friends from that bit of Paris you never go to, the bit that looks like Marseille, and how Vin, Saeed and Huber <laughs> deal with having no power, sorry friends, over their lives, sorry Marseille, and how the police, especially a right little prick in a baseball jacket, can terrorise them and murder their friends seemingly at will. Chased into the big city, Vince has got a gun and swears to use it if the latest victim of police atrocity dies. But when it comes to it, when he's goaded to use it on some racist skinhead, he can't and he sees another path for himself away from prison and maybe out of the barnyard like Hubert. Only then, that prick in the baseball jacket blows Vince's head off. And Hubert, who really is just trying to do the right thing, is forced into a standoff, which ends with a gunshot. And that is the end of so far, so good. No, it's all bad. There we are. So... I'll start the first time I saw this film. This is predictably uh, Mark Parsons' VHS. So Mark is my partner. When we first met, which was a really long time ago, he had <laughs> he just taped everything off film four because that's how long we've been together. And so you had this very carefully curated selection of VHSs. And he was... <laughs> Oh, I was going to say something awful. I was a bit prick about it, actually. No. Anyway, <laughs> he, was, he was such Amazing. a... Yeah, he was a real gatekeeper. Like, So I met him when I was like 19-ish. And I'd not seen anything, right? So that just wasn't my education. It wasn't, I, I'd seen it. If it was like crazy popular, I'd seen it, but I hadn't seen La kind of thing. So, so when we first met, he was like, it's he, like my fair lady, but shit. I, well, I don't hate my fair lady, to be honest. Um, and he was like, you have to watch all of these you, things. You were selling flowers? <laughs> just this rough, that. like, <laughs> I'm the roughest person he knows. So that should tell you something because I'm not that rough. Um, so... Anyway, he's like, you have to watch all these films. And some of them, I, I can hold my hand up and be like, boring. <laughs> like, I didn't like them. Uh, and some of them just really stuck. Now, Lahane, unfortunately, at the time, I was young. I was an idiot. I was smoking a lot of weed. And I found it quite boring. Mm. <laughs> so, so I I'm, think it's a perfect film to watch. <laughs> I know, because you just get really involved. I know, but I'm a moron. So <laughs> I found it boring. And also, oh, subtitles. Like, I'm struggling. Like, I was sleepy. And 
and it just I wasn't like I didn't find it as boring as I I, I haven't only seen this once as the French Connection for instance which I was told like you're going to love this I was like I'm bored <laughs> whatever um but I, I it was in my brain of like that is a worthy film and i i was was in love with the story of it which is you know everyone was super young and i really respect that like you've got all that fire and all that passion and good for them but it wasn't something i was like i can't wait to sit down and put it on again and i'm, I'm an idiot i was wrong like i'm completely wrong it's not boring obviously uh it's excellent so that's my and it's also like the age i was when i first saw it and the, my education up until that point is like France to me, there's a temptation to, for it to be very gentrified because there's sort of public perception or what France kind of put forward at the time. If you're not interested or curious enough to seek out an alternative is very white and very cute Paris. Like and the, the shock of understanding that it wasn't quite like that. I remember that really blowing my mind because I was a child and I had just had no idea. Um, so it was a, it was a bit of an education, and more so this time that, that I was really paying attention, obviously. Uh, so when did you first see it, Chris? I'll try and keep it briefer than that. Sorry, it's a big one. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this came out around the time of Romper Stomper and, and, and just before American History X, and it had this guy on the poster with a gun and a shaved head, and it was called The Hate. I thought this was a neo-Nazi movie. Oh, right, yeah. And it completely put me off. I've still never watched Romper Stomper. Oh, I've watched American weirdly, History. I've seen Romper Stomper. <laughs> it's great. I've seen American <laughs> History. I just, I'm not that interested in watching a film about neo-Nazis. Fair enough. Um, and so I didn't realise it wasn't until last week. <laughs> and I feel like, yes, you, I feel like an idiot now. Uh, it didn't help that when Kaleem had mentioned this and I mentioned it to you, you were like, oh, Lahane's boring. Yeah, and sorry, so in my I'm head, sorry. it was boring. <laughs> And so I, even when I said to you, let's do it, I, in my head, I'm thinking, is it boring? And then I watched it and I was like, oh, no, this is not it's, boring. Yeah, it's, it's actually really, really good. good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I feel like an idiot as well. Although I will say I was quite relieved when some skinheads did show up towards the end. <laughs> like, Finally. I, wasn't, I wasn't totally wrong. Where are the skinheads? <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Vindication. <for> the skinheads. <laughs> so, yeah, so first time watch for me. Oh, wow. I, I remember when the film came out, uh, it was also just after Trainspotting came out. And uh, oh, yeah. I remember one... Just before, wasn't it? Oh, it was around that time, yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah, it? Yeah. It was all around the time. Yeah. Maybe um, Lahane had been in Cannes and Trainspotting might have... Sure. Anyway, whatever. I mm. remember I once saw a headline that was... Uh, uh, Lahane, the French Trainspotting. Right, okay. I, I did think about Trainspotting when uh, I was watching it. Okay. And so I went in with that frame of mind. I saw it in the cinema when I was a student at uh, Edinburgh University. And uh, I remember just being blown away by this film. It was staring at me in the face in its like monochrome black and white. Uh, the story was very reminiscent of my best friends growing up, one was a white guy, one was a black guy, and there was me. And this film is an Arab a Jew and a black guy in Paris, and we lived in London. And I was like, wow, this is us on screen. Yeah. It felt like that. Mm. And the whole way through, I was just blown away by all of the incidents, the randomness of a night out. Yeah. the It just felt to me like one of those nights out that, feels bad while you're in it and then for the rest of your life yeah. you're still talking about it. 100% that's such a good way of describing it it makes you feel now that I'm old it makes you feel knackered like when they can't get home you're like oh god yeah. like we've all had nights out 
It's missing. Not because I'm well. Not have I been? No, not because I've been arrested. But it's like you. Or I once went to Brighton, and our whole thing was we couldn't stay up. We were so young, and it's like we'll just stay up all night. And then we hit like three, four, and we were young. We were like. Oh my god, this was a terrible idea. Because you're not in London, like, and we were living in London. It's not you can't go and hide somewhere. Do it'll get warm. <laughs> we were just sitting on the beach, and someone's like, "Shall we start a fire?" I was like, "Are you joking? <laughs> you can't just light a fire on a beach." So it made me feel like that. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. But handily, Kaleem, uh, you did an interview <laughs> which about your guess of it's in sight and sound, which it, you've mentioned. So it's I've nuts. It. And I'm yeah. doing my I'm doing my research. I'm like, oh, the BFI have done a, a, a lengthy video interview with Matthew Katowicz. I'm like, oh, this will be useful. Oh, it's Kaleem yeah. doing it. Bloody oh, sure. Kaleem. Yeah, brilliant. Didn't have to do much this week, so that's good. So a little bit of context. So in 1993, McCormick and he was killed in police custody. So he's a young man. Shot at point blank range, accidentally, I'm saying. So that's, I'm saying that because also Matteo Kasovic says that. Um, so he's, was he handcuffed to a radiator? Can I just say that right now uh, on Disney Plus, there's an amazing miniseries called Usakin, mm-hmm. which is nominated for a TV BAFTA next month. And it's this story about right. this guy. You it's- should- Definitely watch it. Right. And so he, there, he, it's debatable whether he was handcuffed. Right. Oh, okay. Now that's in question. I was surprised when I read the interview, not knowing the story, the true story. I thought it was generous of Matteo Kasovic to say he was trying to scare him. And I wondered, is that true? And I was yeah, like, okay. how could you know that? Yeah, but it's, I mean... Because that's just, what you would say as a police officer if you got done for it. It sounds oh, like yeah, a lie. Yeah, try and make <laughs> it sound like yeah. it was manslaughter rather than yeah. murder. There was a version of the truth that existed for a long time. Yeah. And now that has been kind of debunked. Uh, debunked and yeah. there's a new series. And kind of, you will, by watching that, you realise that Kasovitz believed the police story, even ah. though he was against the... The film is kind of against the police sure. in a lot of ways. Um, so even he was taken... And it's hard not to be taken in with something that is asserted by the media and everyone as the truth. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because as an outsider, you read it and you're like, nope, like, there's just no way. That, oh, it went off by accident. Like, did it? Uh, but yeah, I suppose at the time, if that's the overriding narrative. But there was outcry. So there's a lot of mourning. There were protests, a lot of coverage. Um, Matteo Kasovic joined in with one of these protests and then is moved to write Lahane immediately. Cass um, Vincent Cassell, Hubert Kwande and Saeed Tagmawi. So as you said, Kaleem, this trio is a really important aspect of it because you've got, you know, you can bump along and you've got your mates and it isn't just two people where Matteo Kasovic has said that, you know, an argument can end basically because you're like, you agree to disagree or whatever. Like the trio, you can just keep the dialogue bubbling along. It's a good idea. Um, and he knew them all. He was mates with the three actors. So yeah. he, he said it was it was easy to put words in the mouth of people I knew. And all of the characters have the actors' names. Yep. Yeah, which I like. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kasovitz and Cassell, as boys at the time, young men, they're more middle class. Um, they'd spent time in the Bond News because they'd loved rap and hip hop. Uh, so the group Assassin did the soundtrack. Vincent Cassell's brother, Matthias, is in Assassin. Um, Saeed Tagmawi grew up in the Bonniers and uh, Kunde was born in France but raised in Benin so he's bringing the experience of an immigrant person so there's authenticity to it straight away um, and the energy it's got from and, and at the time when I watched it 27 to me wasn't wasn't a young person because I was younger but now you can just see that that sort of cockiness and that fire of like you just haven't got these now that we're older you'd be like I want to do it but oh and then this and whatever and when you're 27 you'd be like fuck it I'm gonna do it and that's all through this film for me is like 
that sense of cocksure and indignant, obviously, righteous anger, uh, which I love about it. So it was converted to black and white in post, which is a big thing. <laughs> like, I love this quote that's in your interview, which um, Matthew Kasovic said, it doesn't cost anything to make it look good in black and white. If I showed it you in colour, it's horrible. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and- well, it, well, he said it, it needs money and attention and, and to unify the colours. You've got to do all these things in post with colour that you don't have to do with black and white. Yeah. Um, and he said it made it more powerful in the interview that you did with him about... He says there's no pollution around it, so you just have to focus on the subject when there's no colours, which is an interesting way of looking at it. And he believes it helps to not date the film as well, which I yeah. think is probably true. There's some awesome tracksuits in this. Like, uh, <laughs> some uh, awesome oh, they're good. But, but, but every decade has its own lighting <laughs> styles and, yeah. and colours and things that almost date them. But this will never have that. I think it, for me, reminds me of being... A, like when we were students, which is around the time I saw this you do think that you, everything you do, your first thing will be in black and white. Do you not think you're like, I'm going to take some black and white photographs of my friend when we used to have, when we used to have like cameras and shit like that. Because you were like, look, I've taken this photograph of you and you look beautiful because it's in black and white. <laughs> so I always liked it for that because it's like, if you were going to do it, you'd be like, bosh it in black and white, I reckon. Like, because it'll look better. <laughs> so it's true. That's funny. And Spike Lee's first film, she's going to have it, was in black and white as well. This is the thing. It just feels like one of those choices, doesn't it? Yeah. So Kyler is a pain I've just been <laughs> I've just been uh, in Oslo grading uh, my fiance's made a short called Pop and it's in colour and it just takes such it's an effort work, to yeah. make everything look the same in the different lighting conditions that you shoot yeah so I can understand what uh, Matthew Cassidy <laughs> about and so the stuff about Cannes I didn't know this and this is really scary to me and very shocking so it wins Best Director but the police, so I've never been to Cannes. So what is it? What is this ceremonial guard? So the police turn their backs, don't they, during the festival when the film is showing? And what does that look like? Like, can, was that a very public act, or can do pe- are people aware that the police have done this, or is it sort of a private protest? I think it was a public protest that was organised, and the police let the media know oh. that they were going to be doing cool. it. So there's a furor because there's this film that's going to be at Cannes. The police have heard that it's got a kind of anti-police message. They're not happy about it. They, a lot of police at Cannes because of the amount of crowds. And so while the film's on, they do a kind of stage protest. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And in the interview you did with him, he said that he likes the balls on them for doing that. He said, I've got respect for the police for doing that. Uh, but he adds, they hadn't actually seen the film, so they're fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but then if they had seen it, I think they, if they were cross about representation of police officers I've read another interview with him later he's like it's not about that it's not about that you can read many things into it it is about that and fair enough it should be about that but given the context at the time and given how things have or not changed um, it's just disappointing I suppose but I don't, you know if you're going to show your protest I don't know what else, how else you do it at that time and that's everything unless anything there's anything else that anyone wants to add I would like to say that about the three friends, this is really what differentiates Lehane from Do the Right Thing, is that this is a film where you have people from uh, different racial backgrounds actually best friends yeah. and hanging out together. And what unifies them is they live on the state, same estate and they're from the same social class. So this is a very French way of <clears throat> looking at it, rather than the American way, which is the race divide. This is like, it's kind of a class divide yeah. and there is a lot of racism there. And well. this, but but from, there's a hope in that, in those friendships, I think. Yes, the film 
might dash it out. At the it does. End, it does. But is that because this is a, a white British person's perspective? But you think sometimes with with the with the US because of their we have this very entrenched and bitter class system, and the French obviously have a history of revolution. And in the US, this idea that anyone can make it, and then but that's not true. So they've got so there's so many different layers of like it feels like we're they're told if you just do this it's actually a meritocracy and everything will be fine. Whereas in Britain, we don't believe that anyway because we have thousands of years of that not being true. And then in France, there's always that thing underneath, well, you know, we did that once kind of thing. And so maybe we could be going there again if things get really bad. And so the solidarity between the oppressed, maybe the glue is slightly stronger because that narrative is so recent of people banding together to overthrow. I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it. And I think there's interesting. There's obviously, uh, you know, cultural elements in all of these stories. And, you know, the time between when Do the Right Thing was made and Lahaine was made wasn't so long in many ways. Mm. And yet what is interesting is Lahaine is perhaps the first look from French cinema seriously into the banlieue. Yeah. Now, if you go to the cinema, every French film is about the banlieue. You go to Cannes, <laughs> everything is. Uh, but at that time, it was a revolution. It moved away because the French New Wave was so middle class. Yeah, <laughs> it's very every, off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> everything was about how beautiful Paris was. Everything yeah. was heavily stylized. This was like, we're going to throw you into these characters who, I mean, one way of looking at the film is like three guys having a laugh yeah. and a night out. Yeah. Big night out. <laughs> Big night out. <laughs> well, yeah, he says he believes it was a success because he made a comedy. He made yeah. a film that was a 90-minute comedy with one minute tacked onto the end that changes everything. Yeah. I think it's uh, not such a comedy, but there is a real comedic There's sequence. a lot of humour. Yeah. It's like very, very, very funny. Every time I watch Lahaine, I go, I forgot how funny that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. All right, let's talk about the film. So we so we see the earth and then we hear the joke that we'll repeat about the person falling from the skyscraper, hitting each floor. You so. love you love this opening shot, don't hey, you? Say something first. We do not see the earth first. We see a picture of a man in front of a wall of police that's taken from a real riot. Oh, right. And that is like something that spurs the film on because right. he uses real footage yeah. in the opening sequence. But... We then do. Then we you're go you, right back you're a big fan of the Molotov cocktail going into the earth, though. Yeah, this is the next thing. So, like, um, oh, let me talk about this. This is like one of the best. I think Spike Lee's doing the right thing has one of the best, and I think this might be the best opening of any film I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> because you're first of all you're thrown in, and you're like, "What is this?" And then before you have time to react to someone standing there on his own with 400 police in front of him willing to fight you're then thrown into this very poetic story and you see the earth from space which seems weird for this <laughs> film i'm watching about the french banlieue and all of a sudden something's dropping towards the earth and you're hearing someone going telling you a story about a man who's fallen off the top of a cliff uh, top of fifth floor of a building and as he's falling he's going until now everything's okay just because he <laughs> Tout va bien, just get see tout va bien. And it's falling, falling. And then you realize that it's like a Molotov cocktail, that it's not a satellite falling towards Earth. Yeah. And then it hits the Earth and he says, 
oh, it's not how you fall, it's how you land. And the earth explodes. <laughs> and then Bob Marley's Babylon comes on. <laughs> yeah. And there's more footage of real riots. And it's like, oh my God, I love this film already. <laughs> it is an amazing, it, visually, thematically, it's amazing. Obviously, Earth up in flames, like, there's a bit on the nose, but you're 27. Like, that's what you would do. You'd be so angry about everything. You'd be like, I will set fire to the world because this is, that's how furious I am about what's going on. And like you say, we've got the footage of real riots um, before we meet our trio. So we've got... They had to send those um, opening credits to Bob Marley's family. Oh, did they? Yeah. Before, they said it was before um, Bob Marley music cost a fortune. (laughs) <laughs> and they, they looked at the, they looked at the footage and said, "Yeah, great, go for it." Yeah, they said we could we wouldn't be able to afford it now, but no. at that time, got it, nailed it, right, exactly, and it's very effective. It is, and you it's another one of the like we do the right thing where you're in the opening credits, but you feel like you're like, do you know what? I'll probably just watch this all day. Because yeah, like, they go long. Both films they go very long. Those credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're excellent. And at the end of the credits, before we meet the guys, if I remember correctly, uh, we have the news footage, right? That yeah. tells you that. Tells you that there's been riots yeah. the night before, yeah. which we presume is what we've seen in the opening yeah. credits, yeah. and that someone's on uh, life support. Yeah, yeah. Abdul's, Abdul's in, in critical condition yeah. after he got injured during questioning. Yeah, yeah. to mirror what, what really happened. Um, so we've got Saeed. He's like, to me, he's like our joker, like a bit more excitable than the others. Um, he, I think his circumstances are maybe a bit more desperate than his friends. Like he doesn't have a stable home life, so he's always at Vince's house. Um, and I think he's essentially a good guy, but he's, as in a you know a really good guy, but hamstrung by circumstance and maybe hamstrung by his own brain a little bit. Like he's yeah. he's a little bit of a doofus in the most lovable way. Because the other point to me, which I hadn't realised the first time I saw it, was how young they are. So these are kids, and it's brilliant later when Vince is hanging out with the big boys and he doesn't like it because they're these ch- they're children mm. to me, like they're babies. So everything that happens to them is outrageous, but they just. You're not following three hardened criminals. You're, you're not even following people that are on... They're on that path, but they're on that path because of where they live. Yeah. Um, and then we've got Vince. He's practising his De Niro in the mirror. I think he's a kid sort of finding his way a bit. He's quite impressionable, obviously, easily swayed, but also very cocky. And Hubert, who's, to me, the more sensible, level-headed mm. one, but also working both sides just to see which way things go for him. He wants out and he's dealing that makes sense to me. What else are you going to do? Yeah. But I think he's just waiting to see which one catches fire first. So that will be yeah. the path that he follows. But he's kind of the moral centre of the film, yeah. of the three of them. And he's a boxer. He's uh, in a boxer. I, I love, love that the bit way... in the pool, Stan. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's uh, something unique, something I love about the way each of these characters is introduced mm. because their character, their names appear uh, in the film yeah. before we know who they are. Yeah. So when we meet Saeed, he kind of uh, goes past the police. He's watching the police mirror in the very first scene we see. Yeah. He's in the wall. But then all of a sudden, in a very comedic moment, he's written Saeed. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> what translators uh, fuck the police uh, yeah. <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the back of a police van. Yeah. And then Vince uh, has a knuckle duster that has his uh, name written V-I-N-Z, which is a hilarious way. And then Huber is in this boxing gym that has completely been destroyed by the riots they walk in there's a car under turn you're like this could never how has the car got into the box <laughs> unexplained but anyway we let that slide and then on the wall there's a poster of his upcoming fight and then his name 
just goes up in lights yeah, for awesome. no reason whatsoever. It's, it's so, so good. beautiful. Yeah. There's a couple of moments of magic realism yeah. and distortion in that introduction. There's also, before we meet Vince properly, we see him dancing this crazy dance in a garage that comes from nowhere oh, where yeah. he's almost doing a headstand and he's almost like break dancing, but it's, it's with the music of a comedy, it's just like, this film is unsettling. I don't know whether I'm supposed to cry or laugh. <laughs> But it's the same. the The feeling is like similar to what you, what I felt like when you're watching Train Spotting. It's like why can't like basically a council estate? Why can't it have these moments of magic and moments of levity and things like that? And then no disrespect to Ken Loach, but you're just like, oh god, sometimes like, oh here we go. Whereas, why can't there be a cow? Why can't there be a cow? Why can't there be a car in the gym? Why can't Hubert's name come to life in that way? Because even though you, I think sometimes you know there might be an expectation if you're dealing with very working class lives, it's all got to be muted and down and dour and all the rest of it or you can have comedy and dialogue but f little flares of like quite beautiful things or like childlike things I, yeah, I just thought it was I thought it was brilliant so then the boys I'm going to call them boys because I think they're children um, they eat hot dogs and chat shit on a rooftop and it's all pretty normal I think apart from as we've established the police have nearly murdered their friend they do seem harmless to me like this is where Vince is talking about he's facing a bit of jail time but he doesn't, he, you know, he understands what that is, but it's so perfect. That it's like not a long time. And it's, he's just at the start of that path. And they're just young lads, fresh, making mistakes like everybody else. But because of the circumstances in which they live, they are not able to make those mistakes because they'll be very costly. Whereas a nice middle class boy doing what Vince has done probably isn't going to be facing a similar punishment for what he's done. And that's really obvious to me um, from this scene because they're not treated like everyone else. I thought this was brilliant. So we're at the bit where they're in the kids' playground and the news crew turn up and they're, they're really disrespectful. They're trying to gold them into giving them a story. But the boys are surrounded by railings and they're in this stupid sand pit. So they look like zoo animals because that's what you do to mm. zoo animals. And there's a slide that is a turtle. <laughs> it's like a turtle with its tongue out is the slide I'm like I want to go on that slide so badly oh, I thought you were going to say that what that meant thematically no, no you just want to go on the big tongue we can make it work society hides from these problems <laughs> in the shell of something there we go made it work but, but the news I think I felt like the news reports as well were like a running thing in the film like just yeah. pointing out that this has become almost entertainment for people yeah because they keep abreast of the stories through through it being everywhere they look that, that this stuff's being broadcast and, and it's funny isn't it we're doing it this week when you turn on the telly this is literally happening in France right now is there's riots and there's fires and they love a bit they of love a riot. I'm so glad you just said that. They love a riot, though. They do. Fair enough. <laughs> I love that. Rock and roll. I love that. If you, if you got problems yeah. and, like... That's uh, how they sort the, it out in the, the president's going to, like, raise the age of pensions. I know. We're so apathetic. We're like, to what age? Oh, Jesus. Like, do you know how long we've got? Well, this is the British way, isn't it? It's like, it's not as bad as ours. Have you seen the weather? Yeah. But we do nothing. We're just like... <laughs> yeah. Good on the French. Yeah, good on the French. All right, uh, let's have a short break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So this, at this point in the film, so Vince has got the missing gun from the rights. He's got a police officer's gun. And then for, unusually for me, I'm quite an, I, I quite enjoy a very um, commercial three-act structure. So at this point, because I know he's got a gun, and in a Hollywood movie, you'd be like, moment now, this thing is on kind of thing. What we're going to do, we've got this gun, we're going to do this thing. But this film doesn't do that. Um, and that's good. So it's more of a slow burn. The gun is there. It's a Chekhov's gun. Mm. We know it's there. We know it's got to be used. But you don't have the moment of like, here we are, here's the plan. It yeah, all hangs on. Because it'd work against what the story they're telling, wouldn't it? Because yeah. they're, they're frustrated. They're disenfranchised. They're, just, they're not going to do anything, they're really. They're kids, yeah. But, but they're, they're stuck in this this prison, basically, of this council estate, and they're just going to sort of mooch around, really. If, yeah. if, it, if it was a clear mission right from the beginning, you wouldn't, you wouldn't buy it because he's telling the story of kids who just have nothing yeah. going on in their lives. Exactly. It would and, be so false. And the whole day we're seeing, like, the clock of the time yeah. and it's ticking away. And what I really love, and this is the one thing I would say that dates the film to a period, is when they're sitting around waiting for the car to come on the drug deal, mm. The time just passes and they're just sitting there mm. kind of bored but happy to just be sitting together. Not, not that happy. You've got a kid telling the most boring story <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> kind of bored. I didn't get Kind of bored. <laughs> but there were kids like that. But also, there's no mobile phones. No. Mm. They're not like texting the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Texting would ruin this movie. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what they would do for the whole of it. <laughs> but I like the way that the film doesn't encourage encourage you into the comfort of these. I keep saying they're good kids but they do things that are bad, as in I would want to tell them off for it. And that's good because that's they're a product of their upbringing, their circumstance and all the rest of it. So when they go to the hospital to see Abdul, they just act like idiots. Yeah. Like I wouldn't let them in. You can see why. And I think it's important 
that you can see, because you've got a good cop as well, you've got Samir, the good cop. It's important that you can see why he's exasperated with them yes. because they don't know how to behave. Yeah, I was going to say they're their own worst enemies, but no, the cops are. But they are they, they work against themselves, don't they? In, 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 in a lot of good situations they get into, they ruin it themselves by their attitude and their anger and yeah. their frustration. Um, and so, yeah, you do get frustrated with them. But as you say, we know they've got good hearts underneath it all and they're just, they're just which I think would be ruined actually if they were like five years older you'd be tempted to think you should know better mm. you are more wholly this person you've hardened into this person they're babies so you just like you just you've just got no clue how to be because you've never been shown how to be mm. in order to get what you want as well like if you want to get let into the hospital you cannot brute force your way in mm. especially when it's surrounded by police officers uh, people with more solid upbringings middle class upbringings learn the tricks of charm or acquiescence or compliance or whatever it is to get what you want and they get refused and they react the way that, that, that they would which is to shout their heads off mm. tear the place down kind of thing and get escorted out I love the moment where Samir is like he's trying to say we're trying to look after you basically and Hubert and Lenny's offering to help Hubert with a grant application and that the balance of power there is so awkward because it's like yes your gym has been destroyed I can help you in order to navigate a statutory grant system in order to get what you need. And it's like, it's paternalistic. It's not, it's not what he needs. It's not what he would, it's not what he deserves basically, but that's the best that, that, that Samir can do. And then Hubert turns, isn't it Hubert that turns around and says, like who protects us from you? Mm. And so it's, who do you believe in that situation in the car? And I believe the kids, I believe that I think Samir is doing his best but he's like their one sort of shining light kind of thing. And they have every right to not reach out back. Like they don't have to connect with him just because he's trying to connect with them because their lives are harder than his, I think. Anyway, I, I did wonder. So the gym, so Vince thinks, um, sorry, Hubert thinks that Vince was in some way responsible for that. And he's still buddies with him, which I like. But is that? Well, he just thinks that Vince was part of the riots that, kicked off and like uh, was encouraging people to burn cars and burn things and therefore they burnt the gym yeah and therefore he was uh, responsible for it in but equally i think he feels like because vince was making me think of begbie or tommy from goodfellas yeah. like this hothead who is gonna get you know and hubert can see it as well it's like i just think he just wouldn't be surprised if he was because he just does these things that are so stupid uh, and, and and I've got to be honest obviously it's the first time watch like watching Hubert warn Vince that he's he's headed for trouble and then watching him say that that um be the voice of reason and be the one that wants to get out I was 100% sure at this point he's the one that's going to die at the end yeah. Vince is going to get Hubert killed that's what I thought um, and I guess maybe he does but um yeah <laughs> and also it's, is it Hubert's does he live with his mum and he's trying to say you see his mum yeah and... but she's not listening to him so he's like I, th I think Vince might burn down the gym and she's like well, she says don't forget to get the thing when you go out or whatever like she's not listening to <laughs> she's him she's worried at about all. the money for the school books yeah, yeah. I didn't I, I loved it but it's just like it's and she, I think she's a good mum character she's not not loving but no one's listening to him sure I mean his home life is less chaotic than Vince's though Vince's is just you can see why he's become that because yeah. it's just Many Too generations much. Yeah. arguing. And his sister is a great character. We yeah. The <laughs> She's yeah. amazing. And then we get this like this dreamy shot. So it's um, DJ Cook Killer mixing KRS-One 
and Edith Piaf. Yes. She's just so brilliant. But again, 27-year-old French you would be like, 100% I'm doing that. And then old French you'd be like, oh, I don't know, it feels a bit disrespectful. But it's so brilliantly done. And um, how the hell do they do that shot? That shot across the amazing. estate he goes it's out amazing. the window. How do they? Do and he's that? flying. I'm thinking because there's, there's no drones. There's how no drones. How did they do that? How do you do it, Kaleem? That's a good drones. You keep in, you keep interviewing him. Ask him next time. <laughs> did he invent actually, drones? Yeah, I've actually asked him, and he has told me. And now I've like hit a blank. Wires. Maybe he invented <laughs> a drone. Wires. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. It's just an amazing shot that when you you know when we're sitting here analysing these films, just technically, I'm thinking, how the hell? It's yeah. so good. Magical. The cinematographer Pierre M is amazing. He pulled it back. <laughs> and so we, you know, back to Vince with this gun. He really, he really believes it will protect him, and I really believe that he believes that. Even as it's clearly the worst possible thing he could have on him, uh, it's not just a gun; it's a police officer's gun. They are not going to be happy about that. But you believe that he believes it, and it's 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 cocksureness, and it's also sort of spoiling for a fight. But there is definitely truth to that as well when he's cutting uh, Saeed's hair. I don't think it's bluster. I think I think it's some bluster. But I think he also genuinely thinks this is the safest path at that point for him. Um, and then they're watching some breakdancing and that's really immersive. Like It feels like an escape. It feels like you're really in it and the whole world is crowded out. Yeah, it feels like a moment of joy for them, even though when you look at the surroundings, it couldn't be more dilapidated where they're finding this joy. It's just... It's just a comment of what... And always fun to watch breakdancing. Always. always. No matter where you are or who you are. It's very impressive. But then until it's announced, like, shit's happening, mm. which is brilliant. It's such a casual way of saying what's about to go down. And it just all kicks off. And so Hubert, to me, saves Vince's life for the first time here. Mm. So he has to hit this police officer. And he's, he's a boxer, so he knows what he's doing. Um, and then they're off uptown, basically. And then Hubert, once again, is the voice of reason. Like, you can't kill them all. And hate breeds hate. Which is very um, patient of him, in fairness. But it's, you know, it's the, the message of the film, obviously. And there's a nice shot on the train when they go into <clears throat> Paris um, from the Banlieue, where... Hubert is in frame, but it's actually Vince and Saeed that are talking and animated behind them. Uh, and it's like blurred out and you're just like going, okay, this is painful for him yeah. to be here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. And, and this Paris stuff, uh, it was amazing. He, again, hearing him talk to you that they didn't have enough money to shoot in Paris. So they did it guerrilla style. There was just 12 people there grabbing what they could get, shooting fast, running off. And, 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 and as he said, because I think you asked about there being no no shots of traditional Paris shots, and he's like, well, everyone knows what Paris looks like. Yeah. I don't need to film that. We're going to get, you know, what these guys would be seeing on the streets. Yeah. Um, and you get that sense of energy and urgency from, from the way they obviously had to shoot it, and I, it's so effective. All of this Paris sequence reminds me a lot of La Dolce Vida, mm -hmm. which is a very middle-class film. Couldn't it be a more different central character. But he keeps on, keeps on ending in these situations and never understanding what's really going on. Yeah. He's like just mm. watching without grasping and it's just leading to his sadness. Yeah. Well, this is the first time they stopped, they shut up in the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're saying, this is the first time they're saying quite profound things. I think in that bathroom talking about, you know, not turning the other cheek and, and, and as you said, hate breeds hate. It, I think it's it's brilliant dialogue and it's brilliantly shot because there's so many mirrors in that bathroom. I don't know how the hell he did it. He said they just had to f 
build it on the spot and the actors had to be very reactive and responsive because otherwise it would it would ruin the take. But yeah, and then it all stops with this little man. Yeah, it's great. Um, I don't know. Part of me thought he was also saying it was it was something to do with um you know they were they're all three of them are moaning about their situation and he's sort of saying well there's there's always someone worse off than you. Yeah. You could be trying to take a shit in Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it's good that there's multiple readings. It's a complex. It's a complex tale. It would stun me into silence as well, though. Yeah, Why the hell did he tell us that as he walks? I mean, out? I think yeah. uh, I think they've also been a little bit profound. Like they know where they are. When we mm. see when the scene you mentioned earlier about the police car, uh, not the police, the media car, where the media drive past and ask them if they've been in the riot the day before. Yeah. And then looking up at them, going, why are you just watching us? Yeah, they know they're why being exploited. You, yeah, and... why are you not actually trying to understand the true story, which isn't the riots? The true story is how badly we're treated. Yeah. And that is what you should be mm. investigating and reporting on. You shouldn't be reporting on we are thugs, nameless, who are just fighting the police. Yeah. And then when they get to the bathroom, I think when they're in Paris, you think for a second they're about to grow up at that moment and then it just all goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is really brave as well. There's a bit coming up where it's like it would have been so easy to do a very middle class... Oh, we'll get to it. Because bloody Snoopy, this bloody scene, this stresses me out so much. The clash of like... Understanding a film that is like, you know, we're going sh- to show up middle class Paris through the eyes of these kids from the council estate. Middle class drug users don't feel that they are the same as people. Do you from... mean do you mean Asterix, not Snoopy? Mm. Is that what I mean? Asterix, yeah. 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 <laughs> what do I what do I who's Snoopy? Well Snoopy's a cartoon dog. <clears throat> Asterix is a cartoon ghoul. Yeah. <laughs> uh so anyway, so yeah, it, I, all I want to say is very annoying. Um and I found him quite stressful. And given that this whole day is making me feel tired. It's good because it makes me feel more tired to have to pretend to play Russian roulette with this wanker. Well, I mean, totally. I feel like Boogie Nights, Alfred Molina's character, completely ripped this off. <laughs> it's the same scene, though, isn't it? You go into scene. a drug dealer's house and he's got a gun and he's he's messing around with it and you just and he's off his tits and you don't know what's going to happen. And next. You can't leave. Yeah, no. that's the... <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson completely ripped that off. <laughs> oh, that's, sure. that's excellent. So they're back out on the streets. They're searched basically for being out on the streets. Love that bit where you've got one of the police officers. He's like such a, he's like the, the bully at school, but like the geek as well. He's like, sh- he's showing off about the best weed. And it's like, you're a police officer. Mm. At least pretend to do the right thing kind of thing. Like you've just arrested these boys and searched them for no reason. But when you're like, yeah, this one's better than this one. And this is better than this. And like gatekeeping over weed as a police officer, you just hate him so much. Yes. So I do think this film is very anti-police and it's all the better for it. Um, so Saeed and Hubert, they've been arrested, they're brutalised, they're attacked. It's so upsetting because it's sort of a training exercise mm. as well for this other police officer. It's ingenious. Yeah. It's ingenious because we're looking at that guy's face and he's like, what the hell have I got myself into? Yeah, I thought I was protecting and serving and, he, and he's seeing this and the bloke's saying, oh, it's easy to go too far. Oh, like, This is yeah. terrifying. The young recruit, He's obviously being shown, if you don't do it like this, then you're out kind of thing. You're not one of us. This is how we do it. At the expense of these children. Like, when Saeed says, we'll miss the last train, I was like, wow, because that's something a baby says. Like, a grown-up wants to say it, but he's like, I will not let you see that you've really upset me. And 
the last train is not really on your mind because you've got more grown-up circumstances and you can get yourself home. And when he says that, you're like, just a kid. Like, it's so mm. awful. It's, yeah, very powerful stuff. And and the next time we see them, they, they bounce back from it so quickly. It just yeah. makes you like, oh, this is just normal. This is just life for them. Yeah. This isn't an unusual incident in their lives. They're just, you know, we got away with another one where we didn't get killed. Yeah. And they're young. So, you know, energy. So this is one of my favourite bits. So after Vince is reunited with his friends, he's oh. been like hanging out with these big boys. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. You're yeah. going to miss my favourite bit of the movie. Go there. on, go on. Because meanwhile... Yeah, while Vince with the boxing while weirdos. Yeah, exactly. Wow. His buddies have been arrested and he does that unique escape, which is hilarious. Oh. He comes out of <laughs> the house. Uh, he's like, says his nan lives in the posh houses and does a runner. He kind of uh, meets these weirdos, which is a scene you talked about earlier, um, where he's meeting older people. But then he goes to the cinema. Yeah. Mm. And the way the cinema is shot, I find incredible because there's a moment where he's watching the screen. But then we're watching Vince's face in front of the screen, which is completely out of any perspective. Mm. And uh, for me, this is one of the great scenes inside a cinema of people we've seen so many of them in films because yeah. directors like to yeah. people going to the cinema <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me this is one of the great ones because he's watching boxing and we're thinking about the beginning and it's like everything's a fight everything's a battle and then you're also like how can you be so calm when your mates have been taken mm. into the police it's like oh i'll just wait for them to be released yeah. which adds into that mm. thing of this is it normal. It feels like every yeah. day. Like, oh, I'll just wait in a couple of hours. They'll be let out. Yeah. This is this is regular. And yeah. it's a it's a it's, and also practicalities. They're easy to sneak into and they're warm. So you get it for him. It's not, he's not gone. I fancy watching a film. He's gone. Where is it safe, warm, and I don't have to pay? And, and you could do a lot back then, more back then in the cinema. He has a good pick of his nose. Yeah, <laughs> and and then he has a good smoke. Yeah. He really does. Those were the days. Oh, France. <laughs> <laughs> Next to some kids. He's smoking by the kids. It may be making me think of Cape Fear. <laughs> you know, he's pissing himself. Exactly. Pissing himself during Snow White, isn't he? Or Bambi or something. <laughs> <laughs> but also, in that, in that, during that sequence, we, we, we get quite a long close-up right into Vince's face. And I try, as a first-time watch, I'm trying to figure out what's going through his mind, what's happening. And he just looks like he's getting increasingly angry. And it feels like he's getting... In, Closer and closer to the edge, and I'm thinking we're building to him. He's going to shoot a cop oh, any I minute now. He looked bored, I, but maybe that's because my next favorite bit is when they're at the art gallery. You're, you well, maybe not if you're a Matthew Kasovitz because you're young when you're doing this. But anyone else would have been, I think, super tempted to have a moment where a young lad, bit rough, the night that they've had all those emotions, looks at a piece of art, and the direction goes he's been touched by that because art saves everyone and it's so brave Mm. for a French film director to be like this is bollocks and the (laughs) lads are like this is clearly bollocks because even though the art is like I think he's taking the piss it's like bottles like stuck on the wall whatever it is you're so tempted at this moment to have a film in order to appeal to a middle class audience to go look at the connection though just one moment of connection and he doesn't do it and I feel like this is his class scene though this is his scene about class isn't it yeah about what value is and what's also interesting in this scene is just as we're like getting to like these guys yeah he has these interaction with these girls yeah and they're awful a terrible attempt at picking up which is Mm. so full of like machismo and not even seeing who's in front of you and wanting to engage with them they do they they 
disappoint me multiple times. But that's good. Because, <laughs> again, it's the same, the sort of similar beat to the hospital scene. They just have no idea mm. how to behave. Like, And yet I'm still on their side. Yeah. The, well, the, the stuff with the women, it doesn't put me not on their side but it makes it, it it's a good it's a level of nuance it's not because it's not sweet like the, my whole thing with this is like they're just boys and they, you know this is outrageous and it's quite a maternal feeling but when they're like that with the women you're like that's the nasty little bastards mm. <laughs> like don't do that but I get why they do that they don't know any other way they just no. don't know how to be like mm. in social settings like that they've got no clue that's not their fault and it's also a brilliant way for Matthew Kasovitz to explain why these guys don't have any women in their life. Yeah. They're not even they're not even really interested in meeting women. No. No, you asked him about that, I think, and and he said that um that you you wouldn't hang out, you just didn't hang out with girls because it was someone's sister and then you get beaten up. So you just hung out hung out with other guys. I'm not, is that true? <laughs> I'd risk it. The estate. Would you risk it? it? And look where it's got you today. Yeah, rock on. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> That's between you two. Too. Okay, we'll sort that afterwards, <laughs> mate. So a very funny scene where they try to hotwire the car. I love that. I love that so much. That drunk guy. That's all hilarious. Mm, when he gets on the bonnet, uh, the cop car is brilliant. Yeah, he's it's he's amazing. almost annoying, but yeah. then he's just brilliant. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Um, they seem quite threatening until you realise they can't do this thing that they're doing because if they were cool and they were like, we did it, but it, they just make it look really hard. Well, no, and no one can drive. <laughs> <laughs> That's genius. Didn't see that coming. No. <laughs> what, it's why not... did Vince just lied about being able to drive? That's so brilliant, yeah. having told lies to your friends. Like, I was driving around Israel, like, no problem. And then what's he say? Oh, it's just different. And it's like, that's <laughs> such a teenager thing to do. So anyway, three in the morning, they're really stuck. They're in this like shopping centre and then they find out that Abdul's died. And so there we are. Is Vince going to use the gun or not? I, I've seen this is the second time I've seen it. And even though I knew it's a fantasy sequence, it still shocked me to mm. death that he does appear to use it. And then it was, you know, just a, a very classic scene of like, it was just a, not a dream, but like a, a acting out. Um, but then we meet the skinheads. And so... With, yes, with the, the yeah. moment to make Chris yeah. happy, finally, which is the brilliant. film was yeah. exactly what he thought it was. I think it's really been. Like, I was yeah, right. It's been all kicking along. its heels for now nearly an hour and a half. Finally, the skinheads. <laughs> the promise of the premise, this if you will. <laughs> and so, given that, as the character said, the only good skinhead is a dead one. Mm. This is Hubert being the most. It's very risky, but it's being the most amazing friend in the world, which is saying making it making Vince realise himself rather than just lecturing someone and, and pleading with them to do the right thing it's goading you into doing what you thought you were going to do and when it all comes to it you aren't going to do that because things can be different for you it's a really is what, brilliant is that what you think Hubert's doing there yeah I do yeah. Do, you, do you not no yeah I don't know I don't know part of me thought he wants this skinhead dead this skinhead was going to kill him well I think it's win-win isn't it it's no. like one less skinhead to but, worry but, about but, but that's a really interesting reading and I mean yeah, he as, as we said, he's the moral centre. Um, but I did feel like he was egging him on. I mean, I felt like Vince would do it. Was, <laughs> I'm shocked that he didn't, but I guess that is the point, that Vince was never actually going to do it. Yeah, I wonder now. I, I read it as he's like, yeah, he's golding him mm. in order to pull him back from the yeah. edge. But you have, you know, to convince someone of something, they have um, to think it was their own idea. Isn't there a thing with the gun where they're playing with the bullets earlier and we're never sure if the gun's actually loaded? Oh yeah. Well, Asterix showed him showed him the trick with the bullets, yeah. but yeah. I, I believe believe it's loaded. Hmm, I wasn't sure if it was loaded. I'm gonna say I, I think it was a little bit ambiguous whether okay. it was loaded or not. So ultimately, after that incident, he gives Vince gives the gun to Hubert, and it's like the end, and the sun is coming up, and you get that feeling, that sort of hangover feeling, like the, we've made it through mm. the night, and we, we can all go and get some sleep. 
and we're with Hubert and then that baseball guy. I love the fact that when you first see baseball police officer, he looks like the worst plain clothes police officer you've ever seen. Like he looks like he's never worn those clothes because they're really fresh and like uncrumpled. So he's, you know, when you just see under plain clothes police officer, like, hey, I want to buy some hash. He looks like one of them. Mm. Um, Hello, fellow teenagers. (laughs) Like, he's just a little prick, isn't he? Which is why it's so awful. He's not the... And it's really well hidden at the start. He's not your obvious big bad. He's not, like, the most sort of... Mm. The biggest man there on the rooftop or anything. He's just... He's just one of those people that wants his little bit of power. Mm -hmm. And I think he does... I think he shoots things accidentally to mirror the real-life incident that kicked it all off. Um, And he looks so astonished that he's done it. Yes, in, in this film, he does do it accidentally. Yeah. Mm. And then you can Although see... Although we his... don't see it on screen. So... No. We see his face, though. We do see his... We see the shock on his face. Yeah. yeah. But it could and be it's... the shock of someone who's just killed someone and realised he's done he's it. He's done it, he wa- and he wanted to do it. And you see his brain scrambling, understanding where everybody is, what everybody's holding, and what's about to play. And that he's by himself as well, because he hasn't brought any of his like police buddies... And so here is Hubert, here is a man who would not take it anymore kind of thing. And so we've got your standoff. And they're pointing their guns at each other. We're not sure what's going to happen. And then we end tight on Saeed's face. And then we're out with him as we hear the gunshot. So that's devastating. I wasn't, you know, your brain fills in the gaps. I don't think it's that ambiguous. I think your brain goes, you're either dead or in prison. I don't think that there's any way that it was a gunshot just to scatter them. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not a happy ending. Um... I read that Matthew Kasovitz had planned to turn Lahane into a stage musical or, in his words, an urban opera, but he said a sequel would be impossible because the three heroes are dead or in prison. So I feel empowered to say that it, it wasn't a happy ending. Um, how did it make you... Oh, it's your first watch. What did you think? How did it make you feel? Nothing. Yeah, shocked. <laughs> yeah, upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah I, thought Hubert, I thought Hubert shot the police officer. That's what was going on in my That's head. That's what I think, yeah. Um, and obviously, but that means his life is over as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's shocking and it's so distressing and upsetting. Um, you know, Kasovitz said that he, I, he knew the ending first and then worked back. That's how he wrote this script. And he said, I knew that the last 10 seconds would work if you could get the audience to love the characters. And yeah, that that absolutely worked on me. And it's just that it's just that feeling you get the minute before when you, you can just sense it's coming yeah. you know and obviously there's some reason for this getting these time checks as well we're building towards something and so yeah it was that sense of dread and then just real real sadness shock yeah. and then just real genuine sadness and seeing where it was and it was also like wow what a brilliant film as well when it yeah. cut to black what a, what a place to, to, to leave us at because it could have been the start of the rest of Vince's life as in yeah. if you go to that moment where you thought you were going to actually murder someone which is a bit of a threshold and you don't do it, you wake... I mean, it's a bit simplistic, but you wake up the next morning and you're like, things are different for me now mm. because I understand the limits of my anger and I understand the potential, which is the flip side of the limits of those anger, and that's brilliant. This is this is a very optimistic morning. Yeah. So it was like such a fresh day and then for it to end like that. And you don't... The fact that you don't see it as well, it kind of robs him, which is kind of good. He's, he's just a sort of another boy that this yeah. kind of thing would happen to. It's all very good. Yeah. And so that's the end of the film. Mm. Okay. Has um, Spike Lee seen Lehane? I mean, Spike Lee has seen Lehane and he hates Lehane. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, you, I, knew that, I knew this. Why? Because I didn't know if you were going to say it. <laughs> he thinks uh, Matthew Kasovitz stole the film. The whole from, film. <laughs> yeah, he thinks basically Matthew Kasovitz 
when he made a short film, he made a short film about basketball, right. Matthew Kasovitz, which was also in black and white. And then this film's in black and white. And he thinks uh, the storyline had so many similarities to do the right thing that he was just basically watching what he was doing in okay. America and doing a French version of it. So, so you, told, you told me that. And so I was watching it with one eye on that. And I didn't see that at all. I can I, see parallels and similarities, but I cannot see this being a similar story. I disagree. I disagree. But I think when it was a collective of three films and Matthew Kasovitz has said he's never ever seen do the right thing that's which not true I do not believe for one second right if you're going to tell a lie you've got to tell a believable exactly. lie you tell us and he says ago. oh I was influenced by she's going to have it yeah and not by um, do the right thing I could believe that he hadn't seen Do the Right Thing, but I can't he believe he's, he's seen She's Got to Have It and hasn't seen Do the Right Thing. That's where, that's where your story falls down. That ain't the one you're watching. <laughs> that's exactly it. So I think there's... Um, and also, I think the film's so different. They can stand alongside each other and yeah. not be... On a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> what a good idea. It should be a clash of the titles. Let me think of that. But I think there is... And I, so I think... There has always been an animosity between the two okay. because of that, but I yes, it's a shame, isn't it? Because it, it, the the canon of films that speak truth to power is not like a, exactly an overpopulated group, nah. so we don't want it's. It just feels a bit like ah, let's just all celebrate that yeah. we've got more than one film yeah. that does this. But yeah. fair enough if if that's the way he feels. Um, and I mean, seems... that's what he said to me 20 years ago. Who yeah. knows what he feels like? Who knows? Uh, it was interesting. The president and the prime minister of France got talking about this film and they, they screened it for politicians. Oh, yeah. And they invited uh, Matteo Kasovitz uh, to the screening to speak and he said no. And I think you it was you that asked him why and he, and he said, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> he said, if they care that much about what's happening, go to the projects yourself. Yeah. Don't watch a film. And again, was that when he was a young a young lad? Yeah. A young yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he said that to me when he was way older. I think he still believes Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. This, 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 this was like two years ago. Yeah. 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 He, just he think... is like, no way. And you met, But it's a very good point. I, 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 I'm thinking in my head when I'm hearing about this, oh, what a wonderful thing to be invited to have you, you know, to talk to politicians about what you create. And he's like, no, go to the place. Yeah. Don't have me come. Yeah, this sort of bridge, this yes. middle class representative to be like, this is what they yeah. feel. Like, that's not very comfortable, is it? Um, okay, so shall we do the bits? Yeah, yeah, let's do yeah, it. yeah. Uh, Colleen, what was your best scene? You know what's funny is it's another scene that we didn't talk about. <laughs> we're doing oh, it on, we're actually doing it on purpose. <laughs> it's amazing. So it's one of the few quiet scenes in the film. And it's one of the few scenes where we do see a Paris uh, monument, which is the Eiffel Tower oh, yeah. in, the, in the distance. Yeah, and they're sitting there mm. and they're talking. And it's at that moment that you realise it's Hubert who has said what we hear at the beginning. Yes. Because he repeats the story yeah, that we yeah. hear at the start. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. And there it feels, again, this is where he feels like he's being brotherly to Vince and mm. he's like about to send him on the right path. And because of what we've seen in the beginning, here it feels totally the opposite. And it ends, instead of the earth exploding, it ends with the lights mm -hmm. of the Eiffel Tower yeah. coming on. Mm. And I thought, oh... You could land and the Eiffel Tower can come on or you could land and the earth can explode. Yeah. And right there I thought, oh, it's setting us up for a more generous ending. To it turns the off. The Eiffel Tower turns off. It turns off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It switches off. It's that moment at yeah. night, yeah. isn't it? It comes yeah. off at the end. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And so um, for me, I just love 
films where you know the foreshadowing really pays off mm. in a way that we're not expecting. Yeah, and th- and that's the last time they're going to see the Eiffel Tower. That's it turning off for them for good. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. life turning off. And and it cuts good. to that scene where it, the advert says the world is yours, and he writes the world is ours. But yeah. little does he know, mm. it couldn't be further from the truth. What's yours? Can you do yours first? Yeah, sure. It's the um, the KRS One Edith PF over the rooftop. Uh, okay. I just think, I love it when he warms up, when he's like, how am I going to do it? How am I going to do this amazing thing? And there's a little cheeky scratch and then he's like, on off we go. I just thought that was incredible. And the fact that the world, the world is, you know, the point of overhead shots is to go, look, we're so insignificant and tiny. Like, I Mm. understand all of that. But this world is so hermetically sealed, if that's where you are from, that it may as well be the universe. I think that's what the shot says to me. Like, yes, you're insignificant and tiny, but this is the universe kind of thing, yeah. rather than look at the rest of the universe sort of thing. Yeah. That's mine. Very good. Uh, I mean, the ending is incredibly shot, but I think I'm going to go for the scene where I feel like for the first time, they're really talking about something and we see a different side of them. And then a little fella starts talking about having a shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is genius. It's just such a wonderful moment of levity that I just did not see coming. And I'll, I'll remember that forever. It's a great scene. It is great. Who's your most valuable whatever then, Chris? Uh, Vincent Cassell. Really? Yeah, I think okay. he is fantastic in this. I couldn't take my eyes off him. Um, with a special mention, obviously, for Matthew Kasowitz. Uh But yeah, I just think it's... it's you look at, I feel like I'm looking at a movie star here and he's got that as I said, that Goodfellas Tommy train spotting Begbie thing of I just don't know what's coming out of your mouth next or what action you're going to take next and it means I cannot stop looking at you. Yeah, that one bad mate. Everyone's got that mate. It's just fucking liability. Yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. take them anywhere. Uh, what about you, Clean Most Valuable, oh, whatever? I mean, I think any of the three leads, you could choose any of them Yeah, because they're all absolutely brilliant. And just because I don't want to ever be on the same side as Chris. I'm definitely <laughs> not going to pick And I'm actually going to go for Saeed yes. in this one. And for two reasons. One's to do with his great performance and he does provide a lot of comedy in mm. Lahaine. And whenever he's on screen, he lines it up. Yeah. And the second is because he's in my favourite scene of any movie ever, which is in... Uh, Wonder David- Woman. <laughs> David O. Russell film. <laughs> which one? Uh, I don't know. Which which David O. Russell? Oh come on, George. Three Clooney's, Kings. George Clooney's in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got that. Got it. And uh, he's uh, got Mark Wahlberg down on the floor, and uh, he's uh, he's got he's playing an Arab, and Mark Wahlberg's there as Americans, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he goes, "What have you done with Michael Jackson?" <laughs> and the guy looks at him, and goes, "What?" The king of pop, pop, you know. <laughs> you make a black man white, you dirty country. I love that moment so much. That's my favorite scene of any movie ever. Okay. I don't care what anyone says. That's the greatest scene. That's the weirdest answer we've ever had to that question, but it's great. I like it. Well, to complete the triumvirate, I think Hubert. Really? The, yeah, yeah, I I'm just surprised. No, I was seeing that coming. Yeah, he's he's got a he's. Well, no, he's, he hasn't got the biggest arc, obviously, but he's just got this, this the heaviness, the seriousness, uh, this presence. A presence, yeah. yeah. Like real, real movie star presence. And he is the sort of big brother, but he wants out and he probably would leave them. Like, you know, you're saying that shot on the train, he's separate from these two, you know, they are like a bit idiot kids that are his buddies. Um, it just felt, it, the way he delivers that performance, 
means that even though he doesn't, ostensibly you're not sure if he's dead or alive at the end, but the heaviness you feel, that's the sadness for him. Like it's such a, I don't think Vince deserves to die or anything, obviously, but you just feel, Do you? I felt more gutted for Hubert's life yes. than I did for Vince, which is awful, but I just did. And yeah. I just think it's like just Me this too. sort of really um, strong performance. Uh, and what would you change, Chris, about this film? Quite easy. Uh, I just stopped the film one minute earlier, Aww. and and I'm leaving the cinema pretty in a pretty cheerful <laughs> mood. Like the, we are the world. Ended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, yeah, they played "We Are the World" as yeah. they all walk off to Aww. live their lives. That's nice. You never say things like that. You always like a sad ending. Yeah, I was invested. I was invested in this. <laughs> Is that your honest answer? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, uh, Kaleem, what about you? <laughs> oh, wow, this is a tricky one because it's like such a lean and tight mm. film. That's why I said something stupid. I couldn't actually <laughs> Because it's hard to imagine like what would be good to be taken out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But maybe uh, for me, I would say... Change Asterix to Snoopy. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> I like love, the Americans. I love Asterix. I love the nunchuckers. Oh, the nunchuckers <laughs> are so brilliant. That is like one of my favourite moments of the film. Um, I think I would just lose the skinheads. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Take that swastika because off the like, front of whatever uh, DVD you've got. By then, we're heading towards the end of the film. Mm. And... Uh, it's a bit like the Spike Lee thing where he wants to give us a couple of endings. Yeah. And he gives us that ending. Mm. But it also works because it's a what if ending. Maybe it that moment of hope that we have, we would not have right there. So maybe that's a silly thing. But it's hard. No, I know actually what I would take away. It's the scene where they're talking to the girls in the gallery. Yeah. That's what I would take mm. away. Because there's any bit where I'm annoyed by them. Yeah. Even yeah. though I think it's real. It needs, yeah. I don't yeah. think the film needs it. It's dangerous, isn't it? Because you nearly lose, they nearly lose you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's what I would change. Mine's the, this is hard to choose because it's like there's nothing wrong with it. So it's a bit, um, a bit petty to have to change something. But here we are. So I just think, I, so I'm just going to undercut myself massively. The, the middle class art gallery people do not question why these boys are in their gallery. They, and they get free drinks and they get food. And and until they're rude to the women, they're just there. Like no mm. one comes up and tries to remove them, which is good because that's what middle class people do. They're because they, they're probably a bit scared, but they're probably a bit chuffed. They're like, oh, look, our art appeals to everyone. So I would just increase like one tiny bit where they have to use their sort of, they have to manipulate that in order to get in. They're just let in, aren't they? And they're allowed to stay and they're only kicked out when they really transgress. But I just maybe you could just have one moment of comedy where they really play on middle class expectations of what working class kids are like in order to gain access to the gallery. I don't know what that is. Mm. Or in order to stay, if someone comes over and says, God, this is rubbish. Someone comes over and says, can you leave? And they manage to charm their way into staying so that when they are rude to the women, Again, that scene's just got another layer because it's like, I've just seen you be funny and charming mm. and convince this sort of, you know, middle-class art person to stay. But that's not who you are. You're not capable of doing those things fully. And But it, that's it. I mean, it's, that's a pretty, pretty silly change. But there we are. And that's it. We're done. Very good. So it's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! So where do we start with this week's I verdict? I don't know. I really struggled. I, I still not... Sure. Like okay. I'm going to choose, but I don't know. Who do I start with then? Um, I'm going to go first. Okay, cool. <laughs> Good. Do it. Yes. Uh, I think these are two five-star movies. I think they're both brilliant. I think they're both masterpieces, actually. Um, but I am going to pick 
as my winner, do the right thing. I just think this it's even-handed. It doesn't judge. There's humour, there's life, there's warmth, there's power. And I think it's maybe the most important film of the 1980s and arguably the best film of the 1980s. And so I'm doing the right thing <laughs> by picking Spike Lee's okay. joint. <laughs> so who wants to go next? I can go next. Okay. Oh, because okay. like literally 10 minutes ago, I said I would never, ever make the same choice as Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and now showing how shallow a human I am, I'm going to side with Chris. Okay. okay. Just because of how the debates have gone. Yeah. Because when we came in, I really don't know. I mean, as I said, they're both, as we've all said, they're both amazing and brilliant films. And it's hard to separate them. And I know that the first watch I ever had of Lahaine, I definitely loved it more than the first watch I had of Do the Right Thing. But over the years, I've got to see and understand how important Do the Right Thing remains and resonates in a way that is a bit more powerful today than Lahaine resonates. Like when I see Do the Right Thing now, I think, wow, this really speaks about society and the way people treat each other and tells it in a beautiful way that's accurate and without a bit like Lahaine without trying to be too nice to every character and so yeah it just about squeezes it by uh, the sliver of Vincent Cassell's hair <laughs> and also would you be able to talk to Spike Lee again if you yeah. picked Matthew Kassovitz's film oh wow in that way oh wow uh, with uh Think about your future. Uh, I, I didn't think about that. <laughs> it's fine. It's done. You've made your choice. We have a winner. The winners do the right thing. Hey. Hey. Uh, so, Vicky, is it a clean sweep for Spike? So it is, but but I feel weird saying it because they've so much, you know, these little games we play, there's so much they've got going that are equal. That, so performances, all really good in all of them. Both the endings are amazing in different ways. I really respect Lahaine more in the way that it's like, this is a statement, like this is what our lives are like here and you've got goodies and baddies, basically. Mm. But then that's what's so good about doing the right thing because it's more, it's slightly more nuanced and slightly more complex because there is, there's not as much solidarity um, there. But then that makes you just, that, that's just what will make you think for years and years after. I also really respect in Do The Right Thing, the old switcheroo, because it is, it's, the day's going fine, basically. Like it's, mm. there's tension and it's building in the same way that in Lahaine, the tension is building. But obviously Lahaine starts with an incident and then we build towards another incident. Whereas there, there are moments in Do The Right Thing where you're like, everything's going to be all right. Because it's, and it, when, when it switches, it's so swift. And it's so brutal and it really takes you by surprise because it's, you know, you didn't really see that coming. So, yeah, by the thinnest of margins, though, uh, do the right thing. Amazing. Three, zero to do the right thing. Uh, Alex, I don't know what he's voting for. Let's pretend he voted for Lahaine so it gets one vote. Let's pretend he's seen either. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. Rude. <laughs> Three I've, seen, I've only seen one of them before and I thought it was boring. So no. I'd say that with no authority. Great. But what a, what a fair fight and what a wonderful winner we've got this week so congratulations to your mate Spike <laughs> um, next week uh, what was your clue Vicky this dick is so private you can hardly see him and I said next week we're having some dick and a portion of curry which is so vile when you say that for some reason I swear a lot but I just find that upsetting <laughs> that's the name it's not talking about penis um, yeah, do you yeah. know what the films are probably not 
I don't. No, <laughs> no. It's, it, it's when you said dick, I was like, boogie nights. That's what I always think no, of boogie we, nights. We are doing... You'll see how clever this clue is in a minute. Dick Tracy. Yeah. And the shadow. That's right. You can hardly see him. So you get, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, they're both on Amazon, I believe. Yeah. And, yep. Yep. Sounds good. Yep. <laughs> um, right. So uh, that was Do the Right Thing versus La Haine. Uh, thank you for picking them, Kaleem. And thank you for thank guesting. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been such a great pleasure. Yeah. I'm, it went a bit longer. I'm sorry. I That's didn't... okay. I'll make sure uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stuff Alex Zane in my boot another time. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a pleasure having you here. I feel like I learned a lot listening to you this week. Um, and you've been an amazing guest. So, yeah. And thank you out there for listening. Um, if you have the time, please give us a rating, a review. We're you get your podcast or check us out on youtube or twitter and subscribe to everything clash related essentially do the right thing and in return we'll be back on monday with some dick <laughs> clash of the titles is a stack production and part of the acast creator network